0: There was this Christian lady, she, um, she hated to fly. She was always scared of flying. And uh, so whenever she got on the plane, the first thing she did was pull out her Bible and begin to read it. And so this particular day was no different. And she pulled out her Bible and began to read her Bible because she was afraid. And uh, as she's reading, the, the guy next to her looks over and sees that she's reading a Bible. And he says, surely you don't believe that stuff, do you? And the lady says, I sure do. I believe every bit of it. He said, you mean you believe the story of the guy swallowed by the whale? And she said, oh yeah, Jonah. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely believe that. It's in the Bible. And uh, he said, uh, well, how do you suppose he survived all that time, those three days in the whale? And the lady said, well, I really don't know, but when I get to heaven, I'll just ask him. And the guy very sarcastically says, what if he isn't in heaven? And she said, well, then you can ask him. You know, what's really neat this morning is we don't have to wait till the resurrection for Jonah to tell us about that experience uh, in the big fish because... In the Minor Prophets, we have the story of Jonah. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Jonah this morning. And and for those of you that are our guests, we're studying the Minor Prophets. There's 12 of them in the Old Testament. And they're called Minor because their books are the shortest of the prophetical books in the Old Testament. And we've studied several of them this morning. Uh, our, Our goal, our focus will be Jonah and, uh, and so in your bulletin, it says we're going to go to Obadiah next week. Where we'll not, we'll finish Jonah next week, okay? Now, to get the fullest extent or the fullest benefit from our study of the book of Jonah, one thing that I want you to embrace, one reality I would like you to accept, and that is that Jonah is not a fable. And Jonah is not an allegory. Some people would like to say that it is, but Jonah was a real person. He was a real prophet in Israel. He was from the town of Gath Hefer, uh, located about four miles north of Nazareth. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, Jesus himself underscores the reality of of Jonah as a first person, as a real person, by comparing himself to this person of Jonah, as as we'll see next, next week. Jonah was a contemporary prophet of Amos and of Hosea. And also, like both of them, he was from the northern 10 tribes or from the northern kingdom of Israel. Again, if if you've been with us, you know this, but Israel has had a, a revolution, and the country has divided and split, and we have 10 tribes of Israel going north and two in the south, and there's two separate countries, one called Israel, one called Judah in the south, and there were prophets to both of these uh, both of these parts of Israel, this divided Israel, and Amos and Hosea were in the north, and so was Jonah. In fact, Jonah was a prophet to the king's of uh, to the king of the of the northern ten tribes in Second Kings chapter fourteen verse twenty five we read that he served during the reign of Jeroboam the the same man under whom Hosea and Amos prophesied in Second Kings fourteen we learn that Jonah prophesied that the nation of Israel was going to be successful in a war that they had to reclaim some northern territory. You remember at the beginning of the northern ten tribes or when they were first coming along, they were very expensive, they were very successful, it was a very rich country, and they actually beat back the Syrians. And so Jonah had predicted and prophesied something that came to pass. And so you can only imagine that Jonah is a very popular Prophet. I mean they really like him. He prophesied something positive and it came to pass. And so in the minds of of the folks in the northern ten tribes, Jonah was a great prophet. And and again, I'm reading between the lines a little bit and I'll make this point next week, but but I believe that, that Jonah really is is was basking in the light of his success. He's really enjoying the fact that he's been a very successful prophet. Now the book of Jonah is different from the ones that we've studied so far because the message is not directed at Israel proper. Proper, you remember Hosea's message and actually Joel's message and Amos' message, the ones we've studied. Their messages are specifically to the people of Israel. Jonah's message, encapsulated in this book. It is not directed towards Israel. It's actually directed towards another country called Assyria that was about 500 miles northeast of Israel. God is actually going to send him uh, to Assyria, and he's going to have a message for them. However, now listen carefully to what, what I'm about to say. The book of Jonah is the message that is directed at at Israel. Okay, So the message of Jonah is not directed towards Israel, but the book of Jonah is directed towards Israel. And it's not just directed towards Israel. It's directed towards, I believe, all of us, all men. And I, and I believe specifically it's directed towards God's people because it has, it has messages, it has truths, it has lessons for us as, as God's people. Now, the book doesn't seem to have been written by Jonah. It's written in the third person. It bears his name, but it's, it's almost... It almost appears to have been written by somebody else about Jonah and somebody else who's recounting Jonah's story. But having said that, maybe Jonah is the author of this this book. If he is, if he is the actual author, he's writing it in the third person. And if he is the author of this book, then then I will say that he learned his lesson, as we'll see when we get to the end of the book. He learned what God was trying to teach him because he's going to present himself in not such a great way. The outline of the book is very simple, okay? The outline goes like this. Chapter one, Jonah resists. Chapter two, Jonah request. Chapter three, Jonah reports. Chapter four, Jonah rants. Just write it another way like this. Chapter one, Jonah is running from God. This will make it even clearer. Chapter one, Jonah is running from God. In chapter two, Jonah is praying to God. In chapter three, Jonah is speaking for God. And in chapter four, he is learning from God. Now, there's not a child that grows up in a Christian home that hasn't heard uh, this story. There's not a child that grows up in our church or probably any Bible-believing church that doesn't know this story, the fish story of Jonah. But I want to say to you this morning, this is not a fish story. This is really a story about God. And one of the reasons I say that is the fish is only mentioned four times. The city of Nineveh is mentioned nine, Jonah is mentioned 18, but God is mentioned Thirty-eight times in this book, and so this is a book that has a lot of lessons about God. In fact, uh, you, you know, in my studies this week, one of the th- by the way, I intended to do this whole lesson in one Sunday, okay? But we're not going to do that today. But but you know, everybody, everybody that I read divided Jonah into a series of four messages because there are really four distinct lessons that we can learn from each one of the chapters of Jonah, okay? So this is a book that has a lot of relevancy for us today. So what we're going to do uh, over the course of the next two Sundays, this one and next, is I'm going to share with you four lessons. I'm actually going to maybe maybe take a little tangent and throw a little lesson in there, right? But really four lessons from the, from the book of Jonah. So let's, let's jump in. We're going to look at the first one of those four lessons this morning. And the first lesson that, that I believe the book of Jonah, God wants to convey to you and me today is this. You can run from God, but you can never hide from him. You can run from God, but you can never get away from him. In Jonah chapter one, verse one, the Bible says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai saying, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city and cry against it for their wickedness has come up before me. Now, remember, Jonah is a prophet to the northern 10 tribes of Israel. He has nothing to do with Assyria, nothing to do with Nineveh, which is the capital. But while he is in Israel, 500 miles away, God says to him, Jonah, I want you to go north. I want you to go to Assyria. I want you to go to Nineveh. And their wickedness has come up against me. And I want you to go and I want you to preach against those people. I want you to go and tell them that, that I am going to destroy them because of their wickedness. Now, we're not going to take time to read all of chapter 1 and 2, or chapter 1, I should say, this morning, but, but I would like to ask you, go back and read the book of Jonah. four chapters. It's very, very quick. It's, it's kind of a narrative story, so it's not going to be hard for you to read. Read Jonah before next week. But in chapter 1, the story continues, Jonah doesn't want to do that. In fact, Jonah is so adverse to doing that, he's not going to do it. And when we get to chapter 4, one of the things that we'll learn is he gives a reason why he didn't do it. And in chapter 4, verse 2, he says, I knew, talking to God, he said, I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning adversity." In other words, what Jonah said, I didn't want to do it, God. Now, whether this is true or not, I don't know, but this is what he said. The reason I didn't want to do it, God, is I knew that if I did it and they repented, you'd feel sorry for them. You would not do what you said you would do, which is destroy them. And so I didn't want to go. I didn't want to do it. Now, if that's really his motivation, I, I don't know. I, I'm going to suggest something else next Sunday. But, but regardless of his motivation, Jonah doesn't do it. And, uh, and in fact, what... And, oh, by the way, let me make this statement. <laughs> Uh, aren't you glad? I mean, isn't don't you think Jonah should be glad that God had exactly the character that he thought he had? Right? I mean, his character. He said, "You know, I, I just know that you're forgiving and you're full of kindness and mercy and, and, and compassion and grace." I mean, Jonah is so very fortunate that God had the exact character that he thought he had. Right? Because Jonah deserved uh, more than he got. All right. But um, so so Jonah, the Bible says, goes down to the port. And instead of taking a ship north, or instead of going north, he, uh, he heads east to Tarshish. Did, did, I put a, did I put a, Josh, did I put a, a slide of, of a map up in the, I can't remember if I did this or not. Is there a map slide next? No, I forgot to do it. Uh, Tarshish is, is the opposite direction, and it is miles, and it is miles, and miles, and miles away, all right, from where he was supposed to go. And Jonah gets on this ship, and he is intent on fleeing from God. So, um, back, to, back to the story. So, the ship leaves and, and heads out for Tarshish, again, the, the opposite direction of Nineveh. And, uh, and while they're out there to sea, God sends a storm. Now, the Bible says God sends a storm. So this just isn't a storm that came up. I mean, this is a storm that God brought about. And by the way, let me just say, make a statement about the character of God. God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. God is sovereign over his world, which means he can do anything that he so chooses to do. And so he brought a storm. And the storm is so bad that the ship is sinking. And so the the crew begins to jettison the cargo. They throw everything overboard, trying to stay afloat. And they finally come to this conclusion, because evidently they're religious, they come to this conclusion, this storm must be from God. And so they draw straws to see who it is that God is, is trying to speak to through this storm. And, and Jonah draws the short straw. Again, the providence and the, and the sovereignty of God. God makes Jonah draw that straw. And so he has the straw. And you can just imagine they're all there, you know, holding on for dear life as the ship is tossed. And, and they look at Jonah. And Jonah says, yeah, it's me. I'm the reason why this storm is here. I'm trying to flee from God. He said, throw me overboard. Throw me overboard and, and the storm will die. Well, they didn't want to do this. They did not want to do this. In fact, the Bible says that they continue to try to do everything they could to keep the ship afloat. But when they decided that we're all going to drown if we don't do this, they threw Jonah overboard because of his confession. Now, let me just, let me chase. Here's one of my tangential notes in my, uh, in my, in my notes. And it's this, that, you know, sometimes we think that running from God is only about me and God. You think that you're running from God. You you think you're seeking to flee from God. It's just about you and God. It's never just about you and God. And so when God sends the storm to try to get your attention, it's not just you and God that are going to get caught up in this. Other people are going to be affected by your rebellion, by your seeking to run from God. In this case, these men lose their livelihood. They had to throw the whole cargo overboard because of Jonah. There's no insurance policy there's nobody covering them to, to make up the loss that they've experienced because of Jonah. You know, folks, the Bible is filled with illustrations where people's running from God, people's sin against God affects others. The one that came to mind immediately, I thought about this, was Achan. Achan's in the Old Testament. He's the guy who steals some things from Jericho. He's not supposed to do that. I think, no, it's AI or whoever it was. He stole some things he wasn't supposed to. And and his whole family is destroyed because of his sin. Now, Now, your sin is never just about you. You're running from God. It's never just about you. So they throw him overboard and immediately, the Bible tells us, immediately the storm dies down. Now, what God does by doing that is by telling them, yeah, you got the right guy, you did the right thing. And the Bible tells us that those men on the ship, who most likely are pagans, they're not following, most likely they're not following Yahweh, they're not following the God of the Bible, they're not following the Lord Jesus or the God of Jesus, they're they're not, they're not following God at all. They are following some pagan God, but at the end of this, they worship Jehovah. They worship Yahweh. By the way, Jehovah Yahweh, that's the name of the the God of Israel. And, And they say, you know, they worship him. They follow him because of this. So yeah, they lost everything, but God uses this storm, you know, to reach them. Now the clear lesson of chapter one, and I'm going to repeat it, is this, that you can try to hide from God, you can try to run from God, but... You're never going to be successful unless God chooses to allow you to run from him. You cannot hide from God. God is omniscient. That means he knows everything, and he's omnipresent. That means he is everywhere, and he's omnipotent. That means he's all-powerful over his creation. Adam and Eve sinned against God, and what did they do? Immediately, they made fig leaves for their clothing because they were ashamed of their nakedness. But if you remember the story, when God comes like usual in the evening, and in some way, form, or fashion, He walked with them in the evening. When He comes back, they're hiding from Him. And God says, Adam and Eve, where are you? And it's not like God doesn't know where they are, right? But again, He's trying to get them to come out of their hiding and and to stop running from Him. Jeremiah 23, 24 says, I am a God nearby and not a God far off. Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him? declares the Lord. Do I not fill the heaven and the earth? declares the Lord. That's a rhetorical question, by the way. Can a man hide himself from me? He cannot. You cannot hide from God. You cannot run from God. In Psalm 139, verse 7 through 12, David says this, Where shall I go from your presence, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me and the light shall about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Here's what David says. God has night vision goggles all the time. You cannot hide from God in the darkness. You cannot hide from God at the bottom of the sea. Wherever you are, God is present. Wherever you are, God is. You cannot escape him, and you will give an account to him. Now, can I say this, and I I think I can say this without fear of of contradiction. All of us know this innately. Now, we can push it down. We 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 can seek to remove that innate sense of accountability to God from our soul, from our hearts, from our inner being, but the truth of the matter is from the moment our consciousness begins to develop, we know we're going to have to answer to God. We know we can never get away from Him. Now, let me say this. There are two ways we run from God. The first way is this. We run from God generally. We run from God generally. What I mean by that is simply that we don't want any part of God's leadership in our life. We believe we may believe he exists, we may try to push it down, but if there is a God, I don't want him to have any part over me. I want to be my own God. I want to make my own decisions. I want to run my own life. I want to rule my own, my own heart. I want, to, I want to be able to do what I want to do. And yet the Bible tells us that God pursues us, even when we're generally running from God and not wanting any part to do with him, he is he's seeking us. He sent his son to seek us. He's sending the gospel out into the the far corners of the world to seek us, to seek us with the truth. He sometimes sends a big fish into our life. Other times he might not send a fish, but he might send a blinding light. But here's the point. He does some really big things in our lives to get our attention so that we'll quit running from him, so that we'll quit trying to be our own God and might come back and submit to him. Sometimes God does those big things. You know, it might be cancer in your life. Yeah, yeah. Did you hear me? God sometimes, I think, may give you cancer. I don't, I don't mean just allow cancer. I mean, God may sometimes give you cancer. And I know some of you, are not, you're going to really object to what I'm saying there. But I'm telling you, God does some hard things in our lives because he loves you and he wants to get your attention and he wants to make you stop running. So he may send a big fish. He may send a blinding light. He may send some something that just knocks you off your feet so that you, you, just, you don't have anywhere else to turn but to him. You know, think about the prodigal son. You know the story Jesus told in Luke 15 about the, about the boy who really, he wants no part of his dad, none of it. He said, all I want is your money, and I just don't want to have anything to do with you anymore, so give me my money so that I might leave. And so his father gives him his inheritance, and he leaves, and, he, and he, has, he doesn't have anything to do with his dad anymore until he can't even feed himself anymore except eating the pig food that, that he's, and he's a Jew, by the way, because this isn't a Jewish culture. He's a Jew who wouldn't have anything to do with pigs in the first place, and now he's tending pigs, and he's eating their food. And so here, here, here's, what, here's, what, here's what happens to him. When God puts him with no place else to turn, that's when he's willing to stop running. And he says, you know what? Back home, man, even the servants in my dad's house have it better than this. And he quits running, and he goes home. Sometimes, though, God sends the blinding light, the big fish, the difficult thing in our life, and our wills don't bend to God. We don't quit running. We don't quit hiding from God. We just keep right on trucking for Tarshish's. Now, I said there's two ways we run from God. One is generally speaking, but here's the other one. Sometimes we run from God, not generally, but specifically. And here's what I mean by that. Sometimes we generally love God. We generally follow God. We generally are willing to do all that God wants us to do until that moment, until the moment when God says, Jimmy, I want you to do this, or I want you to do that. And that's when we start running. You know, Jonah didn't run because he generally didn't want to submit to God. Jonah ran because he didn't want to do the very one little thing that God, I shouldn't say little, it was a pretty big thing. But he didn't want to do the thing that God told him to do. And sometimes we run from God, not because we generally don't want to be under his leadership or his lordship, but we recognize that what he's asking us to do is outside of our comfort zone. I mean, I heard Stan mention Lynn stepping outside of her comfort zone, losing my home group. I know it was uh, outside of his comfort zone to, to go on this mission trip, to do something that God was asking him to do. You know, maybe the big thing that you're not willing to do, or maybe that I'm not willing to do, is to go to Nineveh. Maybe I'm not willing to pack up my stuff and, and, and move my family and go join the Logos the logo ship, you know, for a three-year tour like Augusta did. Maybe that's what God wants me to do, and I'm not willing to do that. Some of those big things we consider big things, or maybe just going to the mission field, investing my life, some of you young people, for your entire life, going and investing it on the mission fields of God. And you're not willing to do that specific thing that God's, God's asking. Those, those are kind of big things. But what about this? Sometimes the thing I'm not willing to do is when God says to me, don't date that young lady who's not a follower of mine, don't date her. Or don't date that young man who really has no heart for me. Don't date him. I don't want you dating him because he's not the man for you. She's not the woman for you. We're not willing to do that because I don't want to be single the rest of my life. Or God, I just really need this relationship. So we start running from God. Or, you know, God says to us something simple like, go across the street and visit your neighbors. Introduce yourself to them. Hey, invite them to come with you and be a part of our church family on Sunday. Or, even better than that, have a gospel conversation with them. Seek to, seek to talk seek to them about Jesus. You know, so he's asking us to do something like that. Or he says, stop looking at pornography, men. And hey, and, and do something to really stop. I mean, put something on your phone or on your computer so that you cannot just go and look at stuff that you shouldn't look at. Something like that. And we're not willing to do it. Why are we not willing to do it? We're not willing to do it because specifically we want to run from God in that particular area. I heard something this week that applies here. And I'm not going to be, I tried to quote it this morning and I didn't get it exactly right. But some great church leader in the past made a statement like this. He said, if you're willing to speak for God in all of these areas over here, But at the one area where culture is pushing on something and you are unwilling to speak in that area, then you've really denied Christ, even if you you agree with everything else. I mean, on TV this past week, I think it was this past week or two weeks ago, you know, on The View, they had a real famous pastor, real real well-known evangelical pastor, Bible-believing pastor like us on The View, and they pressed him on racism. You know, our whole culture is against racism now. So it's not, it's not hard for me to stand up and say, yeah, racism is a moral evil. Racism is, is just, that's not God's will for us. And so he stood and everybody applauded for him. But then they asked him about abortion and the killing of the unborn. And he hesitated and he fudged and he wasn't willing to take a stand. Why? Because he was in a hostile situation. He was in a hostile audience that they're not going to be, yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, the killing of the unborn, we're stopping that. No, they would have been all against him there. And, so our bro- and I'm not, throwing, I'm not st- throwing stones at my brother. Look, I'm trying to say to all of us that so often we run from God at the very specific thing that he's putting his finger on in my life and in your life. And Here's the, here's the lesson of Jonah chapter 1. You can run, and you can, you can do everything you can to escape God, but you cannot get away from Him. You cannot hide from Him. You will one day, I will one day have to answer to Him. Let me ask you this question, and here it it's a real question. Are you, this morning, running from God in your life? Is there an area in your life, maybe you're generally running from God. You you do not want God to lead in your life. You've never submitted to God. You've You've never even looked twice towards God. You like being your own God. You know, this morning, are you running from God in a big general way? If you are, I don't know how you happen to be here this morning. I'm glad you're here. But you know what? If that's you, I'm inviting you this morning to quit running, to quit trying to hide from God and to turn around and face God head on. Turn around and face him and say, God, I'm willing. I'm willing. I mean, listen, innately, you know, all of creation testifies to the existence of God. You know that there is a God to whom you're going to have to answer. And I invite you today to quit running. I invite you today to turn around and face God head on. You know, and and by the way, we only stand before God. um, You know, the Bible says all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So all of us are in trouble before God. Did y'all know that? All of us are in trouble before God. There's none of us that are righteous. None of you, none of you are going to merit up. So when you turn around and face God, somehow or another, hey, God, I'm so good, accept me. That's, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that you are so needing of a Savior that, it, that, that God can't and won't accept you on your own merit. But Jesus died for you. I didn't get to the second point. The second point is this, and we'll get to it next week, and, I, and I'm trying not to jump ahead. But... but but there is a Savior for you this morning. And if you want to quit running from God, I'm telling you, that Savior wants to save you. He wants to save you from death. He wants to save you from an eternal separation from God where, where you won't be with God. He wants to give you eternal life. And so this morning, I tell you what, if you if you're tired of running from God and you want to know more about this God, I'm telling you, turn around and come see me after the service. God, or, or just grab somebody you may, maybe you came with somebody this morning. Talk to them. But, but, but quit running. But for most of us, generally, we, we, we follow Jesus. We follow God. We love the Lord God. So let me ask you this. Are you running from God in any particular area? Is there an area that you know you're running from God, that, you, that he's put his finger on your life and he said, I desire this of you. I want you to do this. I want you to stop doing that. But you know, has he put his finger on any area and you are running as opposed... You're going to Tarsus, as opposed to saying, Lord, here I am. Do this thing in me. Help me with this thing. I'm, I'm a, I want to quit running. I want to do what you want me to do. That's the invitation this morning. Let's bow our heads. You know, the, you know as a pastor, the, the most important time is the time where we respond to God's word. I mean, it doesn't matter that I am moved emotionally or that this is, you know, or or, hey, he kept my attention or whatever. The issue is what do I do with what God said to me this morning? And I, I don't know if God spoke to you or not, but if you are running from God, in a way that you, you've just never turned to him, I invite you to turn to God this morning. Say, God, I don't understand everything Jimmy's talking about, but I'd like to. I want, I want to know you. I want to quit running from you. I want to run to you. And you just in your heart right now, where you sit, just say, Lord, here I am. Show me. Show me how to know you. And you just pray that prayer in your heart. Show me, God, how to know you. But then I'm going to ask you in in, in this quitting running, I'm going to ask you to talk to me. I'm going to ask you to tell me because I'm not God. I'm not omniscient. I do not know what God is doing in your heart. But if God is stirring your heart and you want to quit running from God, then it's up to you. Come and tell me and I will introduce you to the one who's loved you from the moment he created you. Now, for most of us, though, that already know God, we already know the Lord Jesus as our Savior, then, then I ask you this. Are you running from God in any area? Is there an area where you know God is asking you to do something, not to do something, and you are, you are going just the opposite direction for whatever reason? This is not throwing stones at you, not throwing stones at my fellow pastor brother who, who, who kind of missed it on The View last week. But I am saying, I mean, today, now, will you quit running? Is God going to have to send a storm in your life to get you to listen? Would you quit running? But here's how I'd like you to pray if this is you. Lord, I've been running. Confess it, name it. This is what I've been doing, God. I, I, know, I know that this is running from you. I know what your desire for me is. And, and Lord, I'm sorry. I'm tired of running. God, you've heard the prayers of, of my brothers and sisters and friends. Lord, I, I pray that you would work in our hearts and that we would quit running. Lord, thank you that you. Uh, thank you Thank that we can't run from you. Thank you for being a God so great, so incredible, Lord, that we can never, ever, ever run from you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. To all you who follow Jesus, if you have quit running today, then I ask you, talk to me about that too. Make yourself accountable. If not me, somebody else. Thanks for listening. This message has been brought to you by Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. And if you'd like to learn more about our church, please visit us on the web at www.baconscastle.com.